Hi, I'm Matt Balsman, Regional Editor for Hagadone Media Montana. First off, a huge thank you for tuning into our podcast over the past year. Your support means the world to us, and it's inspired us to dive deeper into the world of podcasts. We've got some exciting updates to share with you. You might notice a fresh look and feel to our podcast lineup. We've revamped things a bit, breaking our shows into four distinct podcasts to make your listening experience even better. First up, Interlake News Now is simply News Now. Here you'll get Taylor's headlines, Melissa's local events, and all the timely news updates you need. Sports Now is now Keeping Score, where you can stay up to speed on local prep sports. Then there's Deep Dive. This podcast is all about exploring the stories of local people, businesses, and ideas. And if you missed last summer's Maritime Mystery Series, don't worry. It's now the first season of Deep Dive. And of course, our monthly concert series, Press Play, now has its own podcast. Get ready for exclusive interviews with local musicians and all things Press Play. You can find links to all these new podcasts listed in the description of this episode. Or simply search for Daily Interlake wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, thank you for your incredible support. If you enjoy what you hear, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Welcome to Daily Interlake News Now. I'm your host, Taylor Inman. We're taking a look at last week's biggest headlines and what's coming up for the Flathead Valley this week. For our deep dive segment, I'm chatting with Glacier National Park Conservancy Executive Director Doug Mitchell about some of their projects going on in the park this summer. He'll also let us know about an, a virtual event they're having this week with the head of Glacier's road crew. They'll talk about the process of plowing the Going to the Sun Road. But first, here are some headlines. Kalispell City Council gave the go-ahead Monday to purchase attractive vacant railway land with the goal of extending the Parkline Trail. The vote was unanimous, with councilors expressing eagerness to see the urban renewal project expanded westward. The first phase of the project was unveiled last July. The multi-use trail is part of Kalispell's efforts to revitalize the city's downtown area by transforming the urban rail corridor. I'm just glad to see this come to fruition because we've been working on this for a while and been as you said, about four years of activity and back and forth with multiple departments for BNSF. And I think there's a lot of confusion, confusion amongst the community where the city owns property, the counties, are, and so, uh, and this does tie in nicely with the parkland So Purchasing the parcel from BNSF Railway was discussed as part of the initial project, but the city decided to complete the first section before moving forward with the acquisition. The deal would include 14.4 acres along the railroad tracks running from Meridian Road to Fenway and then south to Foy's Lake Road at an as-is price of $50,000. The city would need to survey and perform an environmental assessment of the property after purchase, according to city manager Doug Russell. In other BNSF news, a stretch of the Whitefish River is closed while railroad workers investigate an oil sheen that appeared earlier this month on the shoreline near Roundhouse Landing. City officials in Whitefish alerted the public to the sheen on April 11th while announcing the closure of a nearby bike and pedestrian path between Miles Avenue and Edgewood Place. The alert read, quote, The city of Whitefish received notice from BNSF of an oil sheen appearing on the Whitefish River. BNSF is in the process of mobilizing equipment to do some investigation, end quote. The sheen was first observed by a resident who reported it to a BNSF contractor on April 10th, according to Amy Macbeth, a spokesperson for the railway company. BNSF subsequently alerted state and federal authorities. 
Macbeth said in an email there have been no reported spills or releases in the yard and that the issue is not related to any current railroad operations. Montana Department of Environmental Quality officials said despite the sheen, there's no measurable amount of oil or petroleum in the river. The agency is receiving regular updates from BNSF, according to a department spokesperson, Kevin Stone. Whitefish City Councilor Ben Davis said his understanding is that the sheen is minimal and contained. He said officials at the state and federal levels are saying the same thing, that the sheen is not as significant as it could be. And the booms that were placed is, you know, keeping whatever there was there um, safe. So they acted immediately and we appreciate it and they contacted us as soon as they learned about it. The sheen emerged in an area designated as a state Superfund site owing to years of contamination from the nearby rail yard. In 2013, BNSF completed a major cleanup of the Whitefish River involving petroleum-contaminated soils under an administrative order from the EPA, an undertaking that lasted five years. Under the Oil and Pollution Act, the EPA ordered BNSF to clean up contamination from the river sediment and to restore the area. The railroad company removed more than 26,000 cubic yards of contaminated sediment and backfilled it on more than one one and a half miles of the river. The investigation is ongoing and BNSF is continuing analysis of the area. And the Montana Transportation Commission approved another step necessary for a controversial alpine coaster to open near Lakeside after a meeting that saw many residents sign up to speak in opposition. The commission approved plans for the addition of a new approach, culvert upgrades, and the installation of a northbound turn lane at the entrance to the property, which is located on US-93 just north of Lakeside. The Montana Department of Transportation made the recommendations after looking at a traffic impact study conducted by the property owners last year, which was, which was facilitated by Able and Traffic Services and vetted by the state. Many neighbors of the coaster spoke about the potential effect that the traffic could have on highway safety and access, as well as Lakeside resident State Representative Tanner Smith. Smith asked the commission to table the measure until a safety study can be done. I've personally seen two friends die on this stretch of road. I don't know if you understand quite the gravity we've all been to the flathead, but it is one of the most dangerous stretches of road in our state, period, full stop. Despite the approval, state officials at the meeting said there are still other processes before the Alpine Coasters developers. Developers need to hire a contractor who must secure an encroachment permit through the Transportation Agency's District 1 office and supply a traffic control plan. State transportation officials must approve the plan before construction starts. Read the full version of those stories at dailyinterlake.com. Now it's time for our deep dive segment. Today I'm chatting with Glacier National Park Conservancy Executive Director Doug Mitchell about what projects they've got going on in the park this summer. He'll also tell us a bit more about an event they've got going on this week with the head of Glacier's Road Crew. All right, Doug, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Taylor. It's a treat to be with you. Awesome. The Glacier Conservancy is the fundraising partner for Glacier National Park. Um, you guys fund a lot of really cool one-time projects every year that I'll ask about in a minute, but I thought a good place to start uh, would be to talk about the projects that people see in the park every year that you guys fund. We're really privileged to do this work, which we're only able to do through private philanthropy, donations by people here in the Flathead and, and, and around the country who care deeply about Glacier. And some of those projects you mentioned that they'll see are Native America Speaks is a perfect example. This is the 41st year of Native America Speaks, where people who visit the park have the opportunity to hear Native voices from the Salish and Kootenai and the Blackfeet Nations tell the story of the, this land that is their tribal ancestral land in their voice in the park. It's really a unique opportunity. There's one every night in the park, over 100 of those. Um, retail employees for the Conservancy last year raised over $125,000 to fund that from individual donations from people inside the park. 
Um, school field trips are another great one, right? That here in the Flathead, having young people have the opportunity as the future stewards of Glacier to be able to have the opportunity to get to the park. So funding uh, bus costs for school districts who maybe uh, don't have that available and be able to make rangers available inside the park to give a ranger-led experience for literally hundreds and occasionally thousands of students here in the, in the Flathead. A couple of the programs that people will see regularly that we that we take care of in the park. Cool. Um, speaking of education, um, I was looking through the projects on the website. Um, it seems like you guys have a lot of educational partnerships right now. Um, could you kind of tell me some more about what those are and who those are with? Yeah, you know, the education obviously is the key to to a bright future for, for all of us in, in any number of places, and that's true certainly at Glacier National Park. We're really privileged to, that the park has an educational-specific partner in the Glacier Institute. We partner very closely with the Glacier Institute to fund some of those programs, one of which I'm particularly excited about, which is a middle school girls STEAM camp. And it's the opportunity for uh, young people to have a week-long experience in the park studying science and technology and arts uh, with rangers in partnership with the Glacier Institute. So it's a really neat opportunity to have uh, young people have that unique uh, and specialized experience in the park. Uh, there are also ones that we do in conjunction with the Institute and the Boys and Girls Club, which is uh, uh, based upon photography in the park and how do we use photography as a way to uh, learn about um, about whether it's flora or fauna or wildlife inside the park. Those are really exciting um, initiatives to be able to partner with the Glacier Institute and Glacier National Park and the Glacier Conservancy to bring those to the community. Yeah, so I, I'm familiar with what the Conservancy does, um, but a lot of people aren't. Can you just kind of give us an overview of what the organization does for the park? Yeah, it's a great question. I appreciate uh, that, Taylor. You know, I, I like to say when I go to Rotary Clubs and things that we're the best nonprofit you've never heard of. Um, this year, we were able to, through private giving, fund $3.1 million for the projects in the park. Now, to give a sense of that, the park's entire annual operational budget is $15 million to run the entire park. So private philanthropy through donors here in the Valley and around the country to the Glacier National Park Conservancy will increase the operation budget of the park by 20%, right? Think about the impact of that $5 at a time or a friend to Glacier at $35 at a time. So it's it's really great work to be able to be involved with an organization that has that kind of direct impact on something that is so important to all of us here in the Flathead Valley. So I know every year there's some biology and wildlife studies that you guys fund. Are there any kind of animal studies going on in the park this year? Studying wildlife in the park is is really critical to kind of creating a, a sustainable future uh, for both people to see the wildlife, right? That's why we go to the park and also for the, for the wildlife populations themselves. One of the really exciting programs we just concluded that has been published in a number of scientific journals is significant research, three-year study on lynx population. And the encouraging news is that the population is larger in Glacier than was originally anticipated, that maybe Glacier has some good news in terms of uh, the ability of our ecosystem to support uh, wildlife like the lynx. And that study has helped spur some other research ideas, one of which that's happening uh, this year is a golden eagle study that I'm super excited about. Uh, 
people don't often know, uh, I did not, that uh, Glacier is a migra- in the migratory pattern for golden eagles. I believe the record is somewhere around 400 sightings in one day at Mount Brown for golden eagles. But do they nest in the park? And if they do nest in the park, where are those nests? Are they, are they more nests in the, than in the past? Are there fewer nests than in the past? So that's some of the research that's happening. A um, bunch of pika research. Um, the cute pikas on the cover of our, of our guide. Um, you know, pikas are very sensitive to climate change. And they're actually good reactors to climate change. So being able to figure out where pika are, how many there are, is really going to be an interesting bit, not just about the pika, but about what's happening in the park's ecosystem related to climate change. So those are a couple of the ones that we're doing this year that I'm particularly excited about. That's really neat. Yeah, pikas, honestly, like all three of those animals are animals that you don't really get to see very often in the park, but you know they're there. Um, So that's really neat. Um, And since you brought up climate change... um, what kind of studies are you guys funding or any, are you funding any research about climate change in the park? You know, the, the research that we help fund are, are, are projects that might not otherwise get funded. So there is a lot of, of attention, obviously, on the large issue of climate change and, and the well, obviously climate specific issues related to that. So the need for that for funding for philanthropy is is limited. But the ancillary studies of how does climate change affect individual animal populations or plant populations is the kind of work that is in our wheelhouse because, as the park says, it's the measure of excellence. It's, it's where the park can meet the needs of what has to happen in the park and the National Park Service and other research, but what is that extra add-on that the conservancy, that private dollars could add to? So... Um, black swifts is a good example. Black swifts are another, it's a bird, obviously. They're, uh, they nest underneath um, uh, waterfalls that come from glacial water. So if you have no glacial water and you have no waterfall, what do the black swifts do? So I guess what I would call it is we do, we help with funding the ancillary study. So not actual climate science, but the science that supports what does the climate, what does the climate's changing have to do about what actions park stewards might need to take in order to to move forward in the future. So, again, I'll go back to Blackfoot Swift, and I'm not a scientific expert, but um, but if I as a novice can understand it um, and see the light bulb go on, I think it's important. So, Black Swifts, um, if if that we're not going to have waterfalls, um, what are they going to do? Well, if we could find out what they're doing, right? Let's say we can't prevent the glaciers from melting and we're going to have a loss of waterfalls. If they found a substitute for that, maybe we can protect the substitute, right? Similar with bears. Bears subsist on largely cutworm moss. You'll see them in the scree fields flipping over rocks. That's what they're after. Bear butter, it's called. Again, the study is to see, okay, do we still have a lot of cutworm moths are bears getting the nutrition they need? And if bears aren't and they're finding a substitute, if the life cycle of the cutworm moth is limited, can we look ahead, right? So prevention here is what we're able to help the park think through. And that's super exciting, right? That the idea that you're able to to cause the next bad, to stop the next bad thing from happening um, is super exciting. 
So what are some projects coming up this year, maybe even next year, that you yourself are particularly excited about? One of the things that we do as a team is, and we just did that earlier today, uh, we, we sign up to participate in projects that the park is doing so that we can go back to donors and say, look, I had my eyes on this project that you helped fund, and here's what happens there. So I'm signed up this year for two, both of which I'm very excited about one of which is at the St. Mary Campground and Amphitheater, that it's not very accessible. So if you have mobility issues, if you have site issues, um, it's difficult for you to participate in some of the activities in that area. And so we have funded uh, a project this year that will make a number of significant improvements in that area for accessibility, ramps, things like that, visual um, aids, to make it much more accessible for people uh, to be able to enjoy, whether it's a Native American Speaks program, whether it's a ranger talk, um, certain facilities within the campground itself. Um, so that's super exciting. I get to go out and, and um, I'm pretty sure they won't give me a shovel, but, uh, but be able to be on the ground and watch that happen is really exciting. The other is a trail repair program at John's Lake Loop which a lot of people are familiar with because it's one of the early trails in the park, right? It's just off of by Lake McDonald. And so a lot of people are very familiar with it. And that trail hasn't been in need of um, some love uh, for a while. And so the park came up with a project and um, we had a single funder, a donor who came through and said, I'd like to fund the entire project. Um, so I'm going to get to go out there and, and do that again. That'll be an accessibility project. It'll be a trail improvement project. Uh, and I think in a busy part of the park there off of Lake McDonald Road, um, it'll really be um, it'll be a really fun project to be involved in. So the reservation system has been in the news a lot recently. Um, how does that affect what you guys do over at the Conservancy? I'm sure you get a lot of calls about that. Yeah, it's a great question, Taylor. And obviously, um, it's it's a lot of what's been uh, coffee table talk uh, around uh, around the Flathead area. And I get it. Uh, my wife grew up here. She brought me up here. Um, we were in college together to hike for the first time in 1980, um, and it's changed, right? I mean, the, the Flathead Valley in 1980 had 50-some-odd thousand people living in it. It's grown 175% since then. Um, visitation of the park in 1980 was 1.4 million. It's 3-point-something million the last few years. And as we've watched hotels go up and the airport expand, I think naturally the yin and the yang of economic development, right, is is that's going to crowd and change the way of life that, that we have come to enjoy here in the Flathead. Um, so we don't run the park. Um, so, you know, they, they have worked on three pilot programs on, on vehicle reservation, ticketed entry, to try and think about how do we protect the resource. That's the goal, right? The goal isn't let's keep people out. The goal is let's protect the resource, the golden goose that lays the golden egg, uh, for the Flathead Valley economically. And um, so so we don't play a direct role. We play a supportive role. And this year, for example, uh, we were able to fund a call center in Missoula to be able to significantly increase the number of calls that could get answered from the public about how do I access rec.gov? How do I get um, a vehicle reservation? Um, and then to try and help do kind of some of that research to figure out how, as a community, do we think through this, right? As, as a person who cares deeply about the Flathead, um, you know, I think we've got a great, smart community that we can roll up our sleeves and say, look, the fact of the matter is people love Glacier. 
And it's because it's such a special place. So how do we come together and come up with a plan collaboratively that protects the place and in, in so doing still protects the values that we hold dear here in the Flathead? So you guys have an event coming up this week, a conversation with Glacier's Road Supervisor, Brian Paul. Uh, they're really getting into plowing the road right now, the going to the Sun Road. Um, can you let us know a little bit more about what Brian is going to talk about? Yeah, you know, the whole idea of the incredible work that has to go into um, opening the Going to the Sun Highway, I think it's be really interesting to talk to Brian about. And people are really interested. We have over 300 people signed up for uh, that and it's an online uh, discussion with Brian, so anybody can join. Uh, it's on Zoom on Wednesday night, as you mentioned, and um, you know. So I think it'll be fascinating to hear from him about you know, how many tons of snow do you move? How far can you move in a day? How many times do you have to, you know, you go get ten yards up and then you have to go twenty yards back? Um, you know, the issues of avalanche, and when you're done plowing the snow, you're not done, right? Because the the guardrails and the stone pieces and the, all have to get put back up because they would have been ripped off by the by the snow in the winter. So there, I think there's a lot that people are going to learn about what it takes to actually open the park. You know, you think that I oh, just let the snow melt and then just swing the gate open and it'll be fine. Uh, there's a lot, lot more than that. And even closing down the park, and we may get into that a little bit. You know, they've got to put up a lot of things that. You know, if you go up to Logan Pass in October, you'll see them putting up like 20-foot-tall uh, pieces of metal because they have to like tell the plow guys where stuff is, right? Because when it's covered with 40 or 50 feet of snow, you know, you could run into a lot of things and cause a lot of damage. So I think it's going to be fascinating to kind of sneak behind the curtain and see uh, what it takes because then I think there will be a lot of understanding about, oh, so that's why it takes till late June because sometimes you can look at the webcam from Logan Pass and, we will have those up and running here next year for sure um, in conjunction with the park. Uh, and you say, well, there's no snow in the parking lot. But if you turned around and you looked at the big drift, it'd be a whole different story, right? And, and you can't have people in harm's way, whether it's workers or visitors, um, until that road's safe. Right. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. The big drift gets up to 80 feet deep or brown. That's what I've told, been told. We, when, when Sperry was getting rebuilt, we sent um, – uh, a, a fixed aircraft uh, up to do some photographs of Sperry to make sure that the investments that were being made weren't in vain, that the walls were still standing, and they were able to do a measurement, and it was right about 80 feet in February uh, at Logan Pass. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of snow to move, for that sure. That is a lot of snow. So that'll be cool to learn about how they get that done. Thanks for joining us, Doug. You can find out more about the Glacier Conservancy at glacier.org. Thank you, Taylor. Getting Glacier Open with Brian Paul takes place online on April 26th and begins at 6.30 p.m. Registration is available at Glacier.org. Glacier National Park is set to open part of the Going to the Sun Road on May 5th to hikers and bikers. There are several construction projects lined up for the season that will impact travel for visitors. Find our full story detailing those and more coverage of Glacier Park at dailyinterlake.com. We've got some fun events coming up this weekend in the Flathead. The Ascent Fun Run slash Hike is taking place this Saturday at Herons Park in Kalispell. The 5K race will include some obstacles throughout the course, which aims to raise awareness for programs that help empower youth in the Flathead Valley. The Ascent program at Glacier High School is teaming up with Sparrow's Nest, the Heart Locker, and CRYJ in a race to enable us to continue to support our students. It costs $25 to enter, and registration begins the day of at 10 a.m.
Also on Saturday, the Valley's first roller derby match since 2020 will take place at the Flathead County Fairgrounds Expo Building. The Big Mountain Misfits will face off against Butte's Copper City Queens. It's fast-paced, full-contact action, and it was sure to be a hard-hitting matchup. Tickets are available in advance for $10 at 3rd Street Market and Whitefish. It's $15 at the door, and kids 12 and under are free. The doors open at 6 p.m. Head down to the bay to take part in Taste of Big Fork this Sunday. Walk from venue to venue in downtown Big Fork for this fun and filling benefit for the Imaginative Big Fork Library and the Big Fork Area Chamber of Commerce. This event does sell fast, so get your tickets soon. Tickets are available at tickets cost $50, and they'll be available at Electric Avenue Gifts and the Big Fork Area Chamber of Commerce office. The event runs from 2 to 5 p.m. The Daily Interlakes event page is the best way to find out what's going on in the Valley. Click the events tab on our website to take a look at the calendar and see what's happening in your neighborhood. It's a valuable resource for organizers and business owners. Events can be created for free and are posted online throughout our network of newspapers here in the Flathead. Thanks for joining us. News Now is a new podcast from the Daily Interlake. We're proud to be the largest news gathering operation in the region and one of the oldest papers in the Valley. Consider becoming a subscriber to support our work. Call Circulation at 406-755-7018 or go to the Manage Subscription tab on the top right corner of our website. Everybody stay safe and have a great week.